There's a change happening in the way we live, the way we work, the way we spend our money and make our decisions. We are evolving to be more conscious in our actions in a way that serves the world and makes it a better place. Welcome to The Ethical Evolution. The Ethical Evolution podcast is brought to you by Ethical Change Agency. I'm Bindi, I'm the founder, and my mission is to help ethical entrepreneurs and holistic healers to find their voice through spiritual coaching and podcasting. I'm honoured to bring you the stories of those who create change through healing, kindness, innovation, purpose, and spirit. Understanding that to create collective change, we need to be the change. It all begins with us. With more than a decade of experience in social impact, Nate Shalev helps create workplace cultures where both businesses and employees thrive. Highlighted by the Huffington Post, the New York Times and more, Nate earned a BA from Barnard College of Columbia University and an MA from New York University. Nate also founded Revel Impact, a consultancy that specialises in social impact and diversity, equity and inclusion. It's when we take the time to listen to those voices that can educate and enlighten us, that's where true unity and inclusion begins. Welcome, Nate, to The Ethical Evolution. Thanks so much for having me. Now, I'm super excited to chat to you and I know we've been trying to connect for some time. So thank you so much for joining us all the way from east side of the US. Um, So thank you uh, for making the time. Uh, For people who don't know who you are and have been living under a rock, can you please tell us who you are and what you do? Yeah, for sure. Uh, Time zones are a trip, so I'm very happy (laughs) that we were also able to find the time. Um, So my name is Nate Shalev. My pronouns were they and them. Uh, I am an inclusivity expert, uh, so I help to create workplace cultures where both businesses and people can thrive. Um, I started my own consulting business after about a decade in the social impact space, and I realized uh, both folks were not making the impact that they thought they were, and then internal cultures are not matching the external values that folks were putting out there, so I realized that there was a gap to be able to help people do this better. Yeah, it's it's funny, isn't it? You know, people uh, want to make a change in the world, but they they can't see what's right in front of their face sometimes. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I've also noticed that a lot of people really want to do better and they just don't know how. Mm. Uh, so there's a lot of just well-intentioned um, companies and leaders who really are just looking for um, more guidance and structure to make their workplaces better for everyone. Mm. Now, you know, uh, for me, I, I'm super passionate about diversity and inclusion, as are you. Um, and I could talk about it all day, honestly, um, and I'm sure you probably could too. But, I mean, when we get to the root of it, what does diversity, firstly, mean to you? Yeah. Um, so I will say first with labels and the way that we label things, labels are imperfect always. Mm. So when we talk about identities or when we're talking about uh, these kinds of workplace cultures that we're trying to create, um, the labels themselves are always going to be imperfect. So I think um, uh, there's a lot of different things, right? People call it diversity, equity, inclusion, Mm. belonging. Uh, There's a lot of different names for it. And I I would say ultimately 
uh, it's really important to focus on, on the end goal. And the goal is to make sure that everyone feels good to show up to work as who they are and they feel like they can be successful doing the jobs that they're doing. And they just feel good. They feel like they are part of a workplace that values them for who they are. And people are complicated. We've got a ton of different identities. Um, so really being able to create that workplace is, is intentional and uh, just takes takes the effort. Um, but to, to specifically, so just to say that labels are always going to be imperfect mm. and we do our best to try to describe things that sometimes feel intangible. Um, and so when thinking about diversity, diversity in and of itself just means having um, like a bunch of different people in the room, right? So just making sure that you can have a variety of different folks and different identities um, in one space. Uh, so if you're, I, people often have a party metaphor for this. So it's like the people that you're going to invite to the party and making sure that you invite um, folks from, you know, different uh, geographies outside of your, outside of your immediate circle, making sure that um, all of the different aspects of who we are, uh, that we're able to have folks who identify up, across that. Mm. And, you know, if I'm to play devil's advocate, um, I already know the answer to this, but I'm, I'm going to do it. Um, <clears throat> so if I'm to play devil's advocate, I mean, why is diversity so important in a workplace? What difference does it make? Yeah. Um, so, the, I mean, the difference is in innovation, for one, uh, that when you have multiple voices in a room, you're going to have different lived experiences. You're going to have different ideas. Uh, you're going to have different backgrounds. And so with all of those ideas, you're going to come up with the best solution for whatever your problem is. Um the second is that it's human, right? It's just like we live in a world and we want our workplaces to reflect the worlds that we live in. And we live in diverse worlds because this is just who we are. So we want to make sure that our workplaces are also reflecting of the worlds in which we live because then our businesses aren't going to be successful if they're these isolated bubbles, whether you're serving customers or clients or you're a nonprofit, um, you're still serving people and businesses are made up of people. So you want to make sure that you're able to accurately reflect that. Uh, there are a ton of you know, studies out there that talk about the like business impact of diversity in that uh, leads to um, you attract top talent, you retain that talent, you save money because you're not constantly in turnover. And also you save money on potential lawsuits later on down mm -hmm. the road when you are being intentional about diversity. It's uh, not often talked about, but I think it's important because it's, it's a huge part of it. PR, PR crises and uh, uh, potential lawsuits are definitely part of the benefits of proactively thinking about these issues. Yeah. And in, in the corporate world, um, I guess, you know, when we look at things like recruitment and, um, you know, re retention of staff, um, we've got to be careful because we can have an unconscious bias, can't we? Like that we, we're not even aware of. Um, but it's almost like we've got to put the glasses on and, and actually see people for who they really are and not exclude them because they are different. Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely it. And we all, I think we think about by when we think about bias, I think that there's also some sort of shame around the word itself. And there, there doesn't have to be because we, we all live in a, in a society and we get all kinds of messages and we get messages from our parents growing up, our families, we get messages from the media, we get messages from school and everywhere else. And, and we absorb those messages and then we absorb the biases that are inherent in those messages. And so, uh, you can't avoid it. You know, it, it's just going to happen. We all have our biases. So yeah. we just need to make sure that we are accounting for them, that we're actively 
trying to undo them and unlearn them and relearn better ways to be with one another. Mm. And, you know, um, you and I have spoken offline and uh, I've talked about how I'm a part of diversity and inclusion where I work. And um, it has really opened my eyes um, to what my unconscious bias was. And, and I think, you know, if you can have that reflective look at yourself and understand that, huh, I didn't know that about myself, it opens you up in so many ways um, in acceptance and inclusion um, for everyone so that it's a safe space for everyone to be in. Yeah, and, absolutely. And seeing their point of view and their perspectives and how how just life works for them um, can really help you create a better workplace for those people so that it's somewhere they love to come every day. You know, I always love the saying, you can't be what you can't see. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely love it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's really, it's both incredibly true. I think we... we particularly need role models, we need to be able to visualize and, and have something to aspire to. And when we see folks who share identities with us, we can see ourselves in, in those roles. Um, and then I would also say just inclusion work helps everyone. Uh, so I give an example, it's something called like the curb effect that if you um, have a curb, uh, let's say for, for wheelchair access, mm. it's also going to help uh, a parent with a stroller. Um, or if I if you have a gender neutral restroom, at an event, it helps me as a trans person feel good about being there, but it also helps uh, a father who needs to go to the bathroom with his daughter. So when we're focusing on the, on the most marginalized, we, we also help everyone else. Yeah, absolutely. And I've had several conversations on this show about, you know, those different um, changes just in environment that can help people. Um, but also, you know, in the language that we use in terms of, uh, you know, when we talk about gender and inclusion and sexuality and things like that. Um, which is actually a very passionate subject of mine, can I just say, um, and, and it's something I want to talk about uh, with you. Um, now, pronouns, something yes. something I love to educate people on um, whenever I can. Um, now, it's something that um, I've uh, introduced in our workplace in terms of just having it in our email signature. Um, the uptake in that was quite low. Um, and I'm, I think there's got to be an education piece behind that on why they're important. Can you explain simply for us why pronouns are so important? I sure can. So when we, in, in language, when we were referring to people or things, uh, we're using pronouns. Um, so uh, you know, can you, you know, uh, pass the butter? It's over there. Um, you know, can you, uh, tell her I called, right? She's busy, whatever it is, right? So we're, we're using pronouns to refer to people or things. And the reason, the reason why it becomes so important when we're thinking about gender inclusion is because pronouns in English and, and many other languages are, are gendered. So when you are using a pronoun to refer to somebody, you also have an opportunity to affirm who they are or not, uh, and it's and that's kind of the 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 baseline of it is that it's it's pronouns are I would say one of the easiest ways to show people that we're respecting them. Uh, similarly, like if if um, if somebody told me that their name was Bob and I was like, "You seem like a Joe to me. I'm going to call you Joe." Mm. Like that is not respectful. Mm. You just hold me your name, and I've chosen for whatever reason to call you a different name. It's very similar with pronouns. That if somebody tells you this pronoun uh, relates to my gender identity because pronouns are gendered and this is what I want you to call me. And then somebody chooses to not do that at, at a baseline. It's a respect thing, but, but 
it's it's important because they're gender and that they um, reflect our, our gender identities often. Yeah, and and that's another part of it is gender expression. So whilst I might look like a cisgendered female, um, you know, our sex is what we're given at birth, um, but our gender and how we express it is very different. Um, so you might use the pronouns she, her, hers for me, but it might be that I I express myself as something completely different. Yeah, absolutely. And people, like people won't know that unless I tell them, right? Exactly, exactly. So gender identity is how we're thinking about our genders in our heads when we think about ourselves and, and who we are. Uh, and then gender expression is how we're expressing the gender through our clothes or our body language or our hair or uh, really any way that somebody can express themselves, they can express themselves through gender. And sometimes that our uh, gender identity and our gender expression align with uh, what we were assigned, our sex assigned at birth, and sometimes it doesn't. And you're absolutely right. You, you can't you can't know just by looking at somebody uh, what their gender is because, again, our gender is what we're thinking, how we think about ourselves in our heads and how we're identifying when we think about our own gender. Mm. And some of the arguments I've had with, not not arguments, but just conversations I've had with people because they didn't think it was relevant to them because, well, look at me, you know, I'm a woman. I'm, it's all good. I'm like, yeah, but, you know, if you actually show your support for this, it also shows that you're an ally for those people who maybe aren't 100% cosy with their gender, um, you know, expression. Um, so, you know, it's supporting them and, and showing that you understand. Right. Yeah. Right. And again, as you said, you don't, you don't know many people, uh, people of all genders can have, you know, high pitched voices or low pitched voices. So when I call, when I've had interviews, let's say for, for potential, uh, job positions or, or even customer service or something like that. And, and they say, hi, this is Nate. Nate tends to be a more masculine name. Um, they're like, oh, I didn't expect Nate to sound like this. Or, um, are you sure this is Nate? Right. Mm. And so we, we can't make those assumptions based on, uh, what we think we know about gender because it's, it's gender is, uh, culturally defined. So how gender looks like in, in, you know, Brooklyn, New York is very different than how gender looks from where you are. And it's very different than how gender looks, um, in, in other places globally. So we actually don't, we don't really know. So in some places, um, it's common for men to wear pink and in some places it's really not. Mm. So the, the assumptions that we make can be wrong because gender is so uh, related to our, our social environments. Yeah, exactly. And then I guess if you put that other layer over the top, there's also our sexuality, um, you know, or our sexual preference um, that is completely different, separate. Um, and um, whilst it can, you know, influence our gender expression, um it's, it's, you know, we are fluid beings um, and I think we just have to accept people for who they are and how they show up. Um, you know, there's there's so many people in popular culture now um, who are really sparking a lot of conversation. Um, two that come to mind for me, um, one is Demi Lovato. Um, no doubt you would have seen the conversations happening around her and um, how she's using a set of different pronouns and everybody is down her throat about it. I'm like, just leave the poor person alone, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. You know, and the other one is um, Harry Styles. Um, now, a lot of people are on his case wanting to know what his sexuality is. Is it anybody's business? You know? 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's an important distinction, right? Because gender is uh, what we're thinking about when we're thinking about our gender expression and our gender identity and our sex assigned at birth. And then sexuality is how we're thinking about uh, who we're romantically or sexually attracted to. And we, that, like, we can be um, romantically or sexually attracted to the same gender or different genders or like a whole mix with, within that or no genders at all. Mm. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it's a full spectrum, but you're, you're absolutely right that sometimes they're related and sometimes they're really not. Um, I think uh, there's a history of um, putting m- like morality to gender and morality to sexuality. And I think that's part of why uh, criminalizing like gender uh, when folks aren't conforming to gender, there's, there's a, a very strong history of that. So I think some of that is very much embedded in the way that people see gender. So I think that's part of why folks feel uh, almost, um, I don't know, personally attacked or, or like that they're, that everyone is just so mm. invested in Harry Styles and, and Demi Lovato because they feel like it's like a personal affront to their, to their beliefs. Mm. And, you know, it, it actually speaks a lot about people themselves when, you know, they're so confronted by this. Um, it's, it's a little bit of a reflection, I think, um, if people could actually take the time just to see that. Yeah. Mm. Now, um, if people um, are wanting to work out what's the best way for them to start to be, you know, more inclusive um, in the workplace or just in in their everyday life um, in understanding other people, what are some of the first steps you reckon they can take? Yeah, so the the very first thing uh, that I would say is, is what we talked about before about understanding where your own biases are. So if you are identifying in a specific way, First, understanding the different identities that you don't have exposure to, and then actively seeking out resources where you can understand uh, the lived experiences of others and the issues that they're facing. So that can be listening to podcasts, it can be reading books, it can be looking at documentaries, um, whether it's about racial histories or disability advocacy or queer histories, um, whatever it is, I would I would seek out creators who are creating content uh, about it and then also some of the other Um, educational content to start to understand where your gaps are and understanding some of the issues that folks are facing. And that can be really passive. You can read a book, you can read an article, you can just listen to a podcast or watch a a documentary. uh, And that is a huge first step Mm. Um, to first understand even what you should be doing, first of all, what people are asking you to do. So then you don't show up in a way that's not helpful to the community that you're trying to show up for. Mm. I've um, I've also had people come to me who were a little bit scared um, about, you know, using the right pronouns for people and if they got them wrong. Um, mm-hmm. And it can easily happen without even knowing. Um, yeah. What what do you think, what's some advice you could give them to put them at ease? Yeah, it it happens. Mm. It, it just happens. It's a thing that happens in the world and it's completely okay to get someone's pronouns wrong. Mm. Uh, if you intentionally do it multiple times, then we fall into the disrespectful category but as, as I mentioned, because we are getting all these messages about gender, you might assume someone's gender and you might assume someone's pronouns and you might assume wrong. And if they correct you and they say, actually, no, my pronouns are he, my pronouns are they, whatever it is, um, you can just quickly apologize. Oh, I'm so sorry, he. And then you continue on with your conversation. Uh, don't overly apologize because then when you overly apologize, it makes um, it then makes it all about you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that's where the conversation becomes. So we can be talking about, let's say we're at work. And we're talking about a deliverable that we have to do when somebody misgenders me. 
And now somebody's overly apologizing. And now I have to say, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. And now we've spent 10 minutes yeah. talking about pounds instead of the, the deliverable that our whole meeting was about. And now it's derailed. So my really my, my, my biggest uh, advice for that is to apologize very quickly, correct yourself and then move on. And um, if you find yourself repeatedly thinking about somebody's wrong pronouns, I suggest that you practice when they're not in the room. So whenever you can, you can say it out loud, you can, uh, whenever you're thinking about them, make sure that you're using the right pronoun. Um, but you, you can, you can practice when they're not there. So when you are in front of them, you can make sure that, that you are, you are always going to use the right pronoun. And then also, obviously it's always important, even if you're talking about them and they're not in front of you, that you're still using the pronouns that they would like you to use. Mm. And yeah, I, I think just uh, consciousness. You know, I think a lot of um, inclusiveness is about consciousness. You know, it's just thinking before you open your mouth and, and yeah. also thinking before you take action um, and actually thinking about, um, you know, the broader context um, of how any change you, you you know, introduce into a workplace is going to impact someone. So, you know, it might be you move into a brand new office, but you don't have any unisex bathrooms or anything like that. Um, what impact is that going to have? on someone who's not, you know, completely comfortable with their gender expression and needs to have their own safe space. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a, as a leader, you may not see that, you might not understand it because they might not want to tell you. Right. And I right. think this is where we actually need to be more aware, conscious and, and take those steps to think about, you know, there are people like that in our workplace. I think that's a I think that's a, a really important point that you don't always know the identities that folks have. So I think it's important when we're thinking about gender identity, folks because it's fluid, so somebody might not be out yet, they might want to come out on mm. the job. And if they see that it's a safe space, they feel comfortable doing so. And then you you've created the resources and you've supported them. I think it happens with um, disability advocacy a lot, particularly mm. around neurodiversity. Um, many folks uh, don't know they're neurodivergent or they feel really uncomfortable talking about it in, mm. in spaces. So if you create the resources and accommodations already, uh, then you're already supporting this person and, and no one has to actually tell you. So I think you're absolutely right that you need to uh, create the systems, create the structures, create the policies, create the supports, have the trainings, all of that to make sure that you are in the best position to, to, to support whoever is going to come come work with you, come come through your door, come to your event. Uh, even if you're you know only doing branding, let's say, uh, making sure that everyone can resonate with your brand. Mm. I think inclusion works at every single uh, every single level of an organization. You can be inclusive no matter what you do, no matter who you are. Leaders have uh, that kind of power, I think, more so sometimes, but really every single person in the organization can be responsible for it. So what kind of response would you have for an organization that comes to you and says, oh, diversity and inclusion, it's too hard and it's too expensive? Yeah. So I, I would typically talk to them about their goals first to understand uh, what exactly they're trying to, to do in the world, in business, in whatever it is, um, and then talk about why diversity and inclusion is integral to those goals, um, because it's more expensive to not do it is, is the bottom line. It's more mm. expensive in the long run always to not think about diversity and inclusion. And I would say, from a revenue side, it's expensive, but also just from the people side, it's expensive. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, like there's a, 
Um, do you really want to be the one causing trauma to somebody else? Do you really want to be the like bad experience that somebody has, or do you want to be a positive experience and have a positive impact on their life? So I think that yes, it's monetary, but I would say also, um, perhaps even sometimes even more important. I know in business, uh, revenue is always important, but there's a real human toll, uh, that, that happens when you don't think about diversity and inclusion. Mm. And, and we're talking, um, you know, this is, this can be life and death stuff, um, yeah. to, to the point where, you know, it, it can also be raised as human rights issues. Yeah, absolutely. I think we often think that, or we can think about work as being an isolated aspect, uh, that we were, we're at work and not only at work, mm. but that's never, mm. I am who I am when I'm working with somebody, I am who I am outside of working with them. Uh, when I'm walking down the street, when, when I, when I'm, you know, I, I, I don't change the environment that I'm in changes and how people react to me will change. So if I am uh, facing harassment at work, that is going to affect my self-esteem and my confidence, how I view myself, um, you know, my, just my, my overall well-being, And that can, that can absolutely be, be like that. So I, I would say uh, from, from that aspect, and then also from like a discrimination and harassment standpoint when you're when you're actively teaching folks uh, and actively thinking about how to be inclusive then that kind of ripples out so it, it can be in the workspace but then you're also gonna be thinking about it when you're on the street and so the allyship and bystander dimension techniques that I, I tell somebody to use at work you can also use if you see somebody you know getting harassed anywhere mm. and it, you know one of the themes I'm seeing through our whole conversation here Nate is that it's about bringing your whole self to work uh, and um, not having to compartmentalize your life um, or hide who you really are, and you can you can see that. And I've been there. I have been there myself. You know where I've been in a workplace where I've I've had to put the mask on. Literally, I've had to put the mask on to do the work and take it off when I leave. Um, mm-hmm. And I realized about maybe four or five years ago that that doesn't work for me anymore. Um, and people saw the change in me when I went. Nah, it's time for me to really be me and unapologetically. And if people don't like it, that's their problem, not mine. Um, so by showing up as the whole human and bringing your whole self to work, it can really impact how you actually perform and how people see you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, and I would also add that like I don't, I don't think it works for anyone. Right, because I don't get to choose who I, which of my identities are showing up. I'm mm. always going to be a full human, and and I can feel like one of my identities is not welcome in a space, but that identity is still there. So, so like you said, you can you can have a mask, and you can try to hide one part, but it's still going to be there, and you're in, you're just going to internalize those bad feelings that that feel like you can't express that part of you where, where you are. And it always sneaks out somewhere. It does. It, it boils over somewhere in, in usually not, an un, not a healthy way. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, it can have huge mental health impacts if we don't, you know, honour ourselves and show up as our whole selves at work. And mental health is a whole other part of <laughs> diversity and inclusion that, uh, you know, uh, could be a whole other podcast, quite honestly. Um, so... Nate, if people want to find out more about you and get in touch, where can they go? Yeah, so LinkedIn is one. I post a lot on LinkedIn, and I know LinkedIn is often thought of as the place where you uh, go to get a job, which is both <laughs> true, but I'm also really trying to have conversations there um, to be able to talk about some of these issues and really spark 
just dialogue around all of this. So that's one. And then um, my business website is revelimpact.com. So that is another place to find me. Now, did I see that you're a LinkedIn influencer? <laughs> did I see that? I am a LinkedIn top voice. Uh, oh, that's for, it. For Sorry. Me. Terminology was wrong. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that was the label. Um, and uh, I think technically the, the the followers would make me an influencer, but it's such a strange term. Um, so I'm, I'm posting content that I hope resonates. Mm-hmm. And I, I talk about things that I feel are important and, and not being spoken about Um often and that I think need to need to be more so. So so that's that's what I'm doing on LinkedIn. I couldn't agree more. And I have read quite a bit of your stuff, can I just say, and I absolutely love it. Like this education is what we all need. So thank you so much. You're doing such an amazing job. Thank you. Um, well, I've got the last big question for you, Nate. What's the change you'd like to see in the world and how can we bring it to life? Yeah. You said you were going to ask this and then, <laughs> and then I thought about it. And then I think I thought at the time too, that it was a good question. Um, I think, I think the change that I would want to see in the world is, um, just an intentionality. So folks, you said thinking, thinking before they speak, but also, uh, listening, um, listening more than they speak and, and thinking about, um, thinking about, uh, who they are, how they're showing up and how they're relating to others all the time. And I think that if we can really focus on how, how we are existing and really being mindful of that in all of our interactions, not just when we're in a bias training at work, not just when we're um, kind of meant to talk about it. If we really think about it uh, in all of our interactions, I think that we can um, create places that people feel valued for who they are and that people feel like they have a space that is theirs and that they feel worthy of showing up. I guess maybe that's the thing. I want everyone to feel worthy of um, of being who they are and that they can advocate for what they need. So if you're in a bad workplace, you are worth it and you need to leave and you need to do, you need to do better. If you're in a place where anyone is making you feel um, like you cannot be your full self, uh, you are worth it enough to find, find some place that will. Amen. Oh, look, I could talk to you all day, Nate. Like I could just pull this apart a million ways, but uh, I, I have loved every second with you. Thank you so much for joining us as part of the ethical evolution. Yeah, this was so fun. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Ethical Evolution Podcast. If you're ready to be the change and would love to work with me on finding your voice through spiritual coaching or creating your own podcast with impact, visit ethicalchangeagency.com. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Electric acid.
Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the The Candle Candle Power Power Hour. Electric Acid. 